right. Hello, everyone. My name is Isaiah, and this is the Training Edge Podcast. I am honestly just pretty jazzed for this conversation, um, and I think you guys will get it in a, in a little bit. Um, I have Stephen Bassett with me, and he's a pro for Human Powered Health. Um, Stephen, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for stepping aside from your adventures and joining me just to chat for a bit. I appreciate. Yeah, it. happy to be here. Cool. Um, where are you, by the way? Uh, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So. Cool. Yeah, pretty much uh, when I'm home, I stay home and, yeah. and hang out here most of the time. You're not immediately traveling anywhere no, and everywhere? No, no, okay. no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, what did you get up to this weekend? Um, a little bit of biking, a little bit of gravel biking. Um, watched some Harry Potter movies, kind of yes. have one to go. Just went through seven so far. So, <laughs> so, making, some good, so making some good gains on the, the Harry Potter lore. <laughs> Do you, uh, have you reread any of the books in a while? No, I read them a lot when I was a kid. Now I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, running through Dune. Oh, the, nice. Uh, the first trilogy. So there you go. There pretty you go. warm pilled at the moment, <laughs> man. You're full on into uh sci-fi then between yeah. Dune and Harry Potter. You really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Consuming a lot. There you go. There you go. Yeah. High quality knowledge. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, it seems like at least from my perspective, when you're home, you lean more towards adventurous rides. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like to, uh, to go around quite a bit. So doing quite a bit of mountain biking this year. So kind of trying to hit everything that's within an hour or two, yeah. um, at least once. And, uh, then some of the gravel stuff is, is a bit more, uh, gnarly where it's, yeah. where it's kind of an adventure ride, but, uh, we just have so much available. So how are the trails I like to... there? I don't know if I've never done any trail systems there. Yeah. So the thing is like Knoxville has like this incredible number of trail systems, like in town where it's like, I, hmm. I, it's like 40 or 50 miles of trails, like in kind of within 10 miles of the city. Wow. So that's called like the South loop or the dirty South. And that's like all these, there's probably five or six like distinct systems. And then we have like, I don't know, probably 10 other ones that are within a 45 minute drive. Cool. So we, re we really have quite a lot. Yeah. Cool. Is it, what's the, I guess, what's the trail riding like? Yeah, it's not, it's not too gnarly uh, okay. for the most part. And then especially the in-town ones you do quite like, you do a lot of road burn in between. So mm -hmm. usually you would link up two, three, four of those systems in one ride. Are those uh, pretty, pretty easily man made, like tailored as well? Are those pretty well maintained? Yeah, yeah. So especially the stuff in town. I mean, there's like this uh, club, Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, mm -hmm. that like is employing full time trail builders, uh, wow. pretty pretty constantly. So wow, that's crazy. Like the other day, I was riding at this place, Lowiston Point, and I like took a wrong turn and then found like a seven mile trail that they had just built, like Sweet. literally by accident. So Sweet. it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, we definitely have more of that scene than like it, road biking or anything. The mountain biking is really blown up here crazy we don't i don't even think we even have that here in boulder <laughs> yeah it's wild that's awesome um so lately i've been transitioning into asking the guests to define themselves so i'm curious then who is stephen bassett how would you answer that yeah um yeah i always kind of say like i'm kind of a lifer biker i've been doing this a long time and mm -hmm. uh kind of uh kind of jokingly call myself like the cockroach under the shoe of cycling where they kind of hit me with a stick every once in a while. But, uh, 
I keep kind keep, of you keep living, keep crawling back out of the woodwork <laughs> yeah, to uh, nice. every once in a while have a good ride. But yeah, trying to like, I guess the goal for this season for me was like, I want to be like a competent European biker. And uh, I felt like I achieved that. And now like the new goal is kind of to be not only competent, but like more competitive and see myself more in that way of like actually uh, racing more finals is the hmm. goal. Hmm. Well, we'll get into that in a second because that's that's funny. That's actually one of my questions. But um, beyond you know just catching up, I wanted to talk to you about just what you've learned. So that's exactly what you kind of mentioned on. Um, and but I guess first, um, let's go through like a little bit of your history. So what when did you you, you first turn pro in two thousand sixteen? Right. So at, at the Conti level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I did two years as like a U23 before that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when there was Hoggins Berman U23 and then they mm -hmm. kind of got sucked up into action and that went away. So then, mm -hmm. yeah, I signed with, signed with Jameis in 2016. Yeah. So you've been, yeah, you've been doing this for yeah a little bit. Um, yeah. and then <laughs> I've been kicking around. Yeah. How long have you been, I guess, like living in Europe or predominantly being in Europe? Um, so really two, two full years. So I made, I got on um, HPH in 2020, mm -hmm. um, but then we pretty promptly yeah, got yeah. shut down. So, yeah. so wouldn't really call that a full season. Yeah. So two two full years. Nice. Um, and I guess like amongst when did when did you first race abroad? Because you did that pretty young, right? Yeah, I did a couple. Let's see. I guess 16 years old. I did like the one of the USA mm -hmm. cycling camps. Yeah. And then I did like tour of Ireland as a junior. Um, right. Not that was, I think, the only uh, international race I did as a junior. I guess Libidoby, but mm, right, right. The and then kind of uh, busted my way into the U twenty three program, yeah. uh, kind of by force in uh, in twenty fifteen, um, and and had some opportunities there. Nice. Um, well, I guess a few basic questions for you, just to get to know you a little bit more uh what's your favorite race you've done so far uh i i actually think probably okay the, my favorite place to race is norway all right um just the scenery and everything is kind of i think i've done two races there and it's like probably the most beautiful place i raced and then my favorite personal race, I really love Joe Martin. Like, I think that's such a fun race that it's like any, a sprinter can win it, a climber can win it. Yeah. That's like one of, I think it's laid out to be one of the most dynamic races around. Yeah, yeah I agree. Is that, is that the, I guess my next question was going to be the result you're most proud of. Is that the result you're most proud of from Joe? Uh, uh it's certainly the one I had my eye on the longest. Like, yeah. I think I was, I was talking about that, uh, you know, like I did it when I was 19 and I was like, oh, I want to win this race. Yeah. Uh, so, so many years later uh, to get to do it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've done that race now. What? How many times? Uh, I think I think I've probably done it four or five times. Yeah. 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 It's a good race. Um, okay. Let's, I guess, get into more of the side of, all right, what, what has Stephen Bassett learned over the years? Um, and I guess when you look back to 2016 and you think of who you were back then mm -hmm. and you think about who you are now, what are some of the differences between you then and you now? Like, what are the big ones that stand out? Um, yeah, I think I've gotten so much more relaxed about, uh, about the training. Like, this is always like kind of a running joke on our team, especially because there's a lot of people 
in my same situation where it's like you were, you spent like five, 10, whatever many years trying to get good in the U S and you had all these like, Oh, this is my little ritual that I do every day. And this is the training ride that I do. And it's like, you need this like level of neuroticism of like, Oh, I just train no matter what I train. And then all of a sudden you get to Europe and it's like, you have to, you figure out, like you have to throw all of that away. And so you be, you're like so much of this out of my control race program is largely out of my control race day is largely out of my control. And so all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I need to just chill out. Like you're like, I need to eat and sleep and show up at the start line. And those are the three things I need to do. And everything else is kind of uh, a bonus. So it's, it's like the, the longer I do it, the more like, like I, <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's to the point where like, I hate even to do like specific openers huh. because I'm like, well, this just feels like, I, you know, you're doing it in like the middle of Spain. You don't know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, this is just setting myself up to feel like I'm failing at a task the day before mm-hmm. a race. So now it's like, well, I guess I'll go for an hour ride and maybe go hard a little bit. That's like, that's so from whatever it was, like 15 seconds of this and 20 seconds of this and 30 seconds of this to I'm going to do an hour. And I think that's a pretty good representation of some of the changes you have to make to be to be functional over there. Mm-hmm. That's funny that you say that. Cause one thing I've been noticing is it's almost like the higher level you go, um, as an athlete and, and honestly, as coaching athletes too, the more you do kind of have to relax those nuances a little bit mm-hmm. and then let them, you know, they ultimately, for the most part, they know what to do. And of course there's personalities that are an outlier, but I mean, but this point, you know how to do openers. So it's, yeah. it's kind of feeling the body out and so on and so forth. But that actually was one of my questions. Like, how do you accomplish training in places that you don't know? So it seems like you let go of that to a degree and then just don't worry about it and then control what you can control, which is basically just sleep and eating. And showing yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's certainly things you can do. Like now that, you know, with Strava and everything, right we didn't really have that when I first started going or we had it, but I didn't know how to use it. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with it. So it's like, you can do, you know, the basics to make sure, okay, yeah, I'm going to do a ride. That's probably not going to be too bad. But if you get, if you get like, you know, locked into, I want to do this interval here and this interval here. And it's like, Oh, there's four stoplights on the road. I wanted to do yeah. the interval on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In general, just much looser with, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, uh, I say a lot, like you just need to stay in the ballpark. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't have to hit a home run every time. You're just trying to hit something uh, frequently. Hmm. So when you go into your training then on a normal day-to-day basis, what do you go in? Do you have like a focus in mind then that you're trying to um, just accomplish or, you know, in general accomplish or what, how do you approach your training? I guess is the better question. Yeah. So I think it's like, well, my tra- my training's pretty basic most of the time and pretty general and it's gotten more and more like as I talk to my coach I'm like I I want less and less structure yeah, yeah. as as we go along so it's like okay a lot of times it's like okay we just need to do enough to kind of like hit almost like check the box of like mm-hmm. okay you checked the box of you did some cadence intervals you did some low cadence um and it's like all that stuff we know works we've done it a long time um so by now it's like, we're not really reinventing the wheel. Uh, we're just kind of trying to do the basics better all the time where it's like, you're just trying to be consistent, make sure you do everything you're supposed to do. And once you do that, it's like anything else is kind of just bonus. 
if you like had the ability to talk to yourself back in 2016, would you still give the advice of doing this? Or do you think that it took you getting to this point to be able to do that? Um, I think I would have made it to, I think when I started out, I like thought I was kind of misattributing success to like, Oh, well, I'm nervous a lot. (laughs) That must be why I'm good at bike racing. And it was more like, you could be probably better at bike racing if you weren't freaking out about it all the time. Um, so I think it would have sped up the development curve actually, but it was, it kind of, I figured a lot of this stuff out, like kind of after a low point, like I, I had two saddle sore surgeries and didn't ride for six, eight months and, uh, lost my job and like, or lost my job in cycling and really like had to, had to reckon with if I was even going to keep racing. And I think a lot of this came out of that. So it was almost like I had to hit this point and then start doing a lot of work. And then a lot of the success I think is a result of that work. So it sounds like that was a pretty like key development period or pivotal period for you. How did you process that? How did you handle that? I guess mentally. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it's hard for any athlete when you get injured. Cause it's, uh, I described it as like, you know, it's a spider web out of like, okay, all these things that bother you, like there's all these little strings running out. That's like, Oh, you're all your friends ride bikes all the time. Yeah. You're kind of basing like your identity in bikes all the time. You're kind of at your daily routine. And so you lose all that a little bit. And then you're like, well, ugh, what am I, what am I doing? Um, so like, I think the thing that I try to remember now is like, it's, it's really good to want everything, but you don't need anything almost like, uh, I want to do biking. This is something that I enjoy doing and I do it and I get a lot out of it, but it's not like I have to do it anymore. Hmm. It's a, it's more of a pleasurable thing. So it gave you like a re, it gave you a period of time to refine it almost. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Hmm. exactly. Yeah. I just, I think it's, yeah, it's the difference between like feeling a compulsion to do it, like a need to do it and feeling a desire to do it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's probably points I could have walked away from the sport and I was like, no, I think I want to try and to try and come back and I want to do it. Um, and so when it switched to where I was like consciously, uh, chasing something just cause I wanted to do it. Like, I think that's, that's a lot of the, the, a lot of the thing I would tell myself younger is like, it's okay. You should just want to be good to be good. Cause it's fun to figure stuff out and do well. Like yeah. so much of cycling is like hierarchical. I'm trying to climb the ladder. Okay. I need to do well at this race so that I can get on this team so I can get here and get paid this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like bike racing is too big and too hard to do it for anything other than if you have all that and you're thinking about all that and you're supposed to be thinking about, should I follow this attack? You're kind of going to have some problems. <laughs> One thing I've been thinking about lately has been the why and why athletes do things and, you know, why they're pursuing things or why do anything really at all. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like that was a, like actually a moment for you to rediscover that. Do you, so do you think, do you think your, the, your why in, you know, when you first started is different than it is now, or do you think it's actually the same? You just refound it. Uh, I think it's different. I think when I, when I started, I wanted to be good at something mm-hmm. and be recognized for it. And now it's more, uh, you know, I want to do it because it's fun to try hard at something and achieve it hmm. or, or just try hard at something and see what happens, especially like, especially coming off that, uh, injury year, it was like, well, 
I'm just, I didn't expect any of the stuff to hap- that happened um, racing domestically to happen, really. It was just, I'm going to give this a full effort and, and see what shakes out. And that, that was, yeah, the wider commitment. Yeah. That, so I, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the year that you were on uh, First Internet, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. So is that, do you think that uh, that year of being able to step away, not be on a professional team, um, be on a, a quality operation with a great group of guys allowed you to just like say, screw it and go for it and just say, what you, see what you can do with it. Is that? Yeah. What you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And then I feel like I almost had to do the same thing again. You know, then I did a couple years in Europe and was really struggling and like, wasn't sure if it was working out mm-hmm. and I kind of had to re it was, it was kind of the same thing of like, well, mm-hmm. okay, do I want to do this? Yes or no. And then if I want to do it, do I want to do it all the way and see what happens and be less concerned with what happens along the way, I think. Hmm. I, w- I wonder if that means that in a couple of years, you'll have to f- refine that answer again. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I used to, I used to think like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to be a pro until I'm 40. You know, <laughs> I'm just, it, biking has been my life for so long and now it's, it's, I mean, it's quite difficult to be over there. Totally. Um, so now I'm kind of more like, okay, I'm going to do maybe five more years. So I want to squeeze everything out of that, out of that five years that I can. Yeah. I mean, but it's fascinating to hear, like, as a professional, you are now in a space where you're just trying to, you know, do it for you um, compared to, you know, you think it would be the other way around when you're not a professional, then you aren't, do- you are in fact doing it for you. And then as a professional, you're doing a yeah. job. So it's ironic. It's interesting. It's not a bad yeah. thing. <laughs> Not a bad thing at all. Um, so I guess the outside of the, you know, injuries that you've had, and I, and I like, I do commend you for, I think you've been dealt some rough hands over the years is the, what were the, what was the total period of those, uh, like surgical periods that you went through? Like, what was that, I guess, like total time off or. Yeah, it was like, well, so I basically got a surgery, uh, waited a month and then rode a month and it was like, oh, this didn't work at all. Wow. And so then we were kind of, we pretty much had to start, we had to find a specialist. Um, my parents helped me out. My parents basically, like the first one I kind of did on my own. And then, then my parents were like, we're going to take control of this and we're going to make this, we're going to, we're going to do this for you. And my parents went with me to every doctor's appointment and wow. really were thorough. They found me a, a specialist to do the surgery that knew what he was doing. Wow. But then after that, it was it's probably three months before I could ride actually probably longer four months. It was a long time. So it was about six to eight months total of like not being able to really train, man. And that's, I mean, it's such a tender area and such like a a area that you're obviously putting a lot of, uh, pressure and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess to clarify, if people don't know this, it's like, I, I pretty much had my saddle saddle area. Um, it was like an eight inch incision. So, Wow. Yeah. What was the, like, we don't, we yeah, don't need no. to go too far down <laughs> yeah, this, but yeah. I mean, like it's, uh, it's actually interesting because I have an athlete that just went through this. Yeah. Um, and not very long ago. And it's, it's been a long process. There's a lot of scar tissue. It's obviously like something that you're putting a lot of pressure on when you train. Um, so yeah, I mean, that had to have been a difficult thing to get through. Have you, uh, have you had any other injuries or anything like that? Um, yeah, this year I got, clocked by deer <laughs> mid-season what? yeah what? uh so i was i was 
coming back, like I came back, I was sick after Norway and then I came back and was start just starting to train after kind of two weeks of sickness. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I was descending and just, uh, deer T-boned me <laughs> training. And so I broke like my collarbone, um, a couple of ribs in my back and basically like just shredded half of my body. Oh. Um, so that was pretty bad, uh, this year. Uh, it was, it was a short recovery. Like I was, I was on the bike two weeks later, but, uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty serious one. Yeah. God. Was it, uh, was that surgical? Like you had that operation? Yeah. Yeah. I got a plate in. So as soon as we got the plate in, I could, I could, uh, ride the trainer and stuff, right. but just the sheer like surface area of, uh, of road rash was pretty, was pretty bad. Like there were probably three or four separate times that I thought I was going to pass out. Um, yeah. Man. And then, uh, were you hit? Cause I know that, um, human powered health got plagued by quite a few sicknesses this year. Did you get hit with any of those? Yeah, I had, uh, I had probably the lightest case of COVID ever, um, where I never had a symptom or anything. So that wasn't a big deal. And then, uh, but then I kind of got like this permacold through, uh, mm-hmm. through March that was kind of permeating the Peloton and, uh, that, that took a chunk out of me for sure. It was just like kind of low grade sick for yeah. four or five weeks. It seems like it hit almost everyone in the, yeah. in the pro Peloton. It seemed pretty, ugh. um, I guess, do you approach like sickness the same way you approach injuries then? How do you approach them in, in day-to-day training? Yeah, I think I I try to almost like say what you would say to your teammate. I think that's like a good strategy for mm. so many things. It's like, okay, you're sick. You want to train, but it's like, but you're sick. So common sense is you don't train, you're sick. And sometimes it's really hard to tell yourself that. But for the most part, I just am just like trying to be macro about it. And like, well, we got to take care of this and then we train. Uh, I'm not somebody who like, it's fine for me to take three days off the bike. That's, that's not uncommon. That's not weird. Hmm. I don't have, I don't like even like to ride on easy days. So Hmm. I'm not addicted to riding all the time. So I think that helps. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, that never worked for me, but I always kind of respected people that could do that. That could, uh, it just seemed like such a better way of staying in love with the sport and, you know, loving every single time you get on your bike. So have you yeah, always think, seen that? Uh, I think it's a, no, it's more of a byproduct of the, mm, okay. of so many saddle sore injuries. It's like, well, if I'm going to be, you know, putting on a chamois, I'm going to do some work. I'm not going to mm. get on, put on a chamois and go spin it 93 Watts. Yeah. I just kind of refuse to do it. And then I think mentally that's, that's good. Like every time you put on the shorts, it takes a little something out of you. Yeah. It's funny that you put it that way instead of like swinging your leg over the bike. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, how many, do you know how many race days you did this year? I think 55. Okay. So yeah, I was, I think I was on, on schedule for more like 65, um, which is a pretty big season, especially yeah. as an American, that's a big season. Um, but yeah, I lost a few with the, with the crash. Was that, uh, loaded in certain areas that were more heavy than others? How did yeah. That space? February was really heavy. So I think I was, I did 14 days in February and I was supposed to do 17, but then uh, I got COVID. So that cost me a couple. Um, yeah, that's, that's the tough part was like that. 
to me, it's like, it's, it's totally fine for me to race 15 days in a month, but then I need a month to like, you know, two weeks or three weeks to kind of chill. And sometimes the schedule is more like, okay, well, you're going to do that. And then you're going to race once a week for four or five weeks in a row. And those kind of single day or, you know, or you're going to do two races a week for four weeks in a row. That's, that's more what wears you down, I think, than yeah. if you could just do like, okay, I just hit it hard for two weeks and then, then I kind of decompress. Yeah. That was one of my questions though, was where do you find time? I mean, I'm sure this is with your coach, but where do you find mm -hmm. time to train amongst the chaos, I guess? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's relatively easy with, with how we are in Girona, where it's like a lot mm -hmm. of times you're back the night of like the, if it's a one day you're back that night or you're back, um, from like, if it's a five day race, you're back by Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can be take Monday easy and then, and then train whenever you want. Um, but the biggest thing that we've changed is like in between races doing less intensity and you, it's more important to get like that three or four hour zone two ride. Right. Just the main, it's like, you kind of forget the maintenance and that's more and more what we're learning. It's like, okay, just, you just need to do some aerobic work and then everything else kind of takes care of itself, especially the more you're racing. Yeah. Especially with that race volume. Um, yeah. The basically just not detraining as you're going through all these races. Yeah. Um, so, okay. You touched on it. So you're in Girona. When are you, or when are, will you be heading back to Girona? Yeah. I think the first week of January, we do a training camp in Portugal Cool. for like 10 days and then, and then to Girona from there. And then you're kind of there mostly through, um, to like the end of May or early June. So that's, that's one change I really took away from this year is I'm going to try if the schedule allows to break that block into two, into two, uh, separate things, because well, like one five or six month block is, is really heavy yeah. mentally. So hopefully I'll get to break it up and come home for, for a couple of weeks in the middle. That was going to be my next question. Cause you, did you come back? for nationals then is that kind of the, the time period when you came? Yeah. Back? So I okay. came back like, I guess three, two or three weeks before nationals. Okay. And then, um, then you kind of get for free a couple, a couple weeks after, but right. But, uh, I think you need a break earlier. At least I do as an American. I think that's, that's different if you're a, a European and you can go home between every race. What do you think the biggest, like we talk about this all the time about how taxing it is to be over there as an American, but what do you think for you personally, that means like, what is taxing about it for you? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's there's Girona is really nice and I like Girona, but it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a cycling bubble, European yeah. boulder situation where everybody does bikes. And so it can be hard to like unplug when you run into everybody at the, at the grocery store that's also riding bikes. I think that's hard. And then, I mean, I should speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish at all. <laughs> that's hard. Uh, but yeah, one thing I'm like, I'm always like, Oh, have you heard of this? Have you, have you heard of this Belgian that's playing in the NFL? I don't know. I, I haven't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> you don't see it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I crack myself up, but um, uh, it's like, it, it's quite hard to live in another country for your sport. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're in a really good position to do it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's fun all the time. Right. Right. There still could be a tipping point. Yeah. I, I think the, I'm sure you get it. I mean, I was in Europe, I was in France for a month this year and it was just, I just wanted to go to 
order a coffee mm-hmm. and not have to think more than, you know, I wanted to not think at all what to do something. And it's a, it's a weird drain. Um, and I'm sure it like, there's a tipping point where it all of a sudden becomes comfortable, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I haven't found, I haven't yeah. found the point where it's, where it's fully comfortable. Now I'm reasonably okay most of the time, but it's just hard to be away from your family. Yeah. How long are you, so, you know, with Girona being your home base, how, how many, I guess, what's the longest period of time you'll spend there? So yeah. Like in between races or, or yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, well, sorry, in between races. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times we'll do a week or two or three, um, there. And sometimes it's like, okay, you do like a day trip out for a race and come back, you know, it's a, it's a little 72 hour excursion. Yeah. Um, but mostly, yeah, it's mostly we just chill there and it's, the riding's good and there's people around. So it's not, it's not that bad, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, are you, do you consider yourself introverted? I'm curious. No, no, no. Really? Um, okay. yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, a social butterfly. Uh, so yeah, I like to, you know, I think for me, it's like, I want to be talking to people like a minimum of two hours per day. Hmm. uh which is like kind of that's high a, probably yeah. i feel like that's uh, a lot yeah 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 i've been notes that my teammates will make fun of me i'll definitely spend like four hours on facetime no problem uh <laughs> nice. like regularly nice. um and i have friends that i call like every day and stuff cool and then in Girona, it's it's yeah you just have to make an effort to to find other people to hang out with which is yeah. pretty easy to do do you have to do you feel like you recharge by talking to people that aren't just talking about bikes or don't just live in that world or oh yeah yeah Yeah, for sure yeah i would assume Um, that's hard there in girona then yeah that's that's kind of yeah that's kind of what i've been getting at is like sometimes it's hard like oh we're gonna go out to dinner and then it's like oh we're we're still talking about aero socks (laughs) at dinner i'm just like ah ah, anything but aero socks uh and i love that stuff and i love to do it but yeah it can sometimes it can feel a little suffocating yeah yeah i could see that um well, I guess getting back to one of the first things that you mentioned when we started, um, yeah, what are your goals for 2023? What's your goals for next year? Yeah, I mean, every year I say the goal is to win a race, <laughs> win yeah. any, you know, tour of West Poland stage four. Um, <laughs> Still counts. So, yeah, it's it's actually getting, it's getting harder and harder. Like, I'm looking at some of the numbers that I did this year, and I was like, ah, I feel like that would have won a race three years ago, yeah. for sure. Like, I... I just think it would, and uh, I don't think I'm wrong. But the level is is quite high, and also the the relegation battle has made it hmm. really difficult, especially as a guy like myself who's not a not a pure climber. It's like if you're a pure climber, you just push on the pedals and you get your result. And then if you're a pure sprinter, you barge into each other and you get a result. And then if you're me, who it's like, okay, you know, this year it's like, okay, I got second at a race because the day long break went and I was pretty good, strong at the end. But it's like, there's not a whole lot of opportunities. Like, I think I counted and I did like 11 breaks this year. Yeah. And two made it to the line. Damn. So, and, and it's like, because they had, I mean, the, there's so many teams that have like, you know, a, either a top tier sprinter or a second tier sprinter and they want those points. And so, you get Arkea, Lotto, you know, Bora, and then you get like seven other Kofi D's. You get yeah. 12 teams that all want to sprint. And then you're like, oh, well, if I'm not a sprinter, what do I do here? Um, 
so I, I think the goal is to try and become competitive at these like mid mid sprint days that are the really hard sprint days. But even that is, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, how I always describe it is like, well, the, they're riding to drop Kristoff. Uh, and to drop Kristoff is pretty hard. Kristoff can get up a hill. So it's like, okay, somehow you have to be better at climbing than Kristoff and then still be able to sprint. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, so it's kind of, it's kind of hard to do, but that's eventually the, the game plan I think is to try and make these harder finals where maybe it's 40 guys and then maybe you can sprint out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With, do you do well with like a fairly technical finale? Does that help you? Yeah. Because mostly it brings the speed. So I'm, mm. I'm really, I'm really good aerodynamically when I can sit down because <laughs> I'm just like built like this inflatable tube man. And I do a lot of specific work. Like I do a lot of intervals in the aero position. I work with a bike fitter specific to aero position. Mm. I've done a lot of the homework, um, on doing it. So when I want to do the Sphinx position and I can do it a long time, I'm actually pretty good at that kind of a specialist in that but when you make me stand up it it all goes out the window and there's suddenly a giraffe riding a bike down the highway and uh so it so yeah it's i do better if it's a a slower speed sprint where it's more uh it's more power and less aerodynamics Hmm. what are some examples of races that maybe could include something like that yeah, there's some stages at like Dunkirk that are mm-hmm. that are really hard. And then there's, you know, some of these Norway stages. It's like, ah, yeah, it's a small enough sprint. Okay, Kristoff's still there, but not that many sprinters are still there. Yeah. Kind of more of those types where it's where it's a little hillier, a little harder. Um eventually, I mean, making breaks is great and you're you can get success out of breaks, but I think just relying on the brakes to try and get success is, is, uh, sometimes a little futile. Mm, maybe limiting even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did want to touch on that though. Like you obviously have figured out, um, getting into brakes and, um, then I'm also curious what goes through your head once you're in it. So first question is, uh, how did you figure out how to do that? How long did it take? And yeah, what are some of like your big takeaways that made or break that? possibility yeah that's uh yeah there's a lot that goes into making the breaks i think i yeah. made the first the first race i did as a pro i made it by accident nice. <laughs> much. Nice. i was like ah nice i'm in the break this is easy <laughs> yeah i can't, can't believe everybody thinks this is so hard uh <laughs> but then um now that i've done i've basically banged my head against the wall for two years and got in them every once in a while kind of not by luck, but infrequently for how hard I was trying, I started to notice a bit of the pattern and there's certainly an alchemy to it. Mm. And it's like, it's, it's weird. All the calculations you can, you can start making of like, okay, you, you're looking for teams like that. Usually you, you can look for, usually once you see a world tour in there, you can just give up because they're not, they all just neutralize each other. Mm, so you can, you can kind of do that. And then, you can kind of start if you're if you're willing to be a little risky you can wait for the you can like almost wait till you see the walls start to get built yep um and so there's like all these signs you can kind of watch for that okay okay there's two world tour teams getting together at the front okay 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 it's going to be soon and then you you can kind of shoot the gap Mm -hmm. um so i'd say half of the ones i made this year were like 
by by pedaling hard and half of them were kind of by being sneaky do you uh how much homework do you do on that front like where do you look to see likely where the break will go like how do you approach that side of things uh a little bit i'm not yeah some of my teammates can really look at velo for a long time yeah. <laughs> i can't i can't remember it pretty quickly so it's like okay if i know there's a narrow road at k3 that's about as details yeah. i get nice um nice. and a lot of times it doesn't seem to the terrain doesn't seem is rarely what dictates the yeah. break it's more yeah. what what's happening in the group so yeah that that is a little harder to predict um but sometimes you can just sniff it that they're looking to let it go. You can it, there's there's something in the air that you see all the teams get together, right? You know, at K zero, um, there's sometimes you can you can just kind of get a feeling that it's going to go quick. Yeah, I like it's always been fascinating how the peloton can have like this emotion to it, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like that's kind of like what you're describing to a degree. Yeah, it's you just kind of got to, yeah, you got to feel the vibe a little bit <laughs> and see what's going on. And sometimes it's like, ah, the break is going to go when the people who are the best ones at pedaling pedal really hard and everybody else gives up. And I'm like, ah, this is, this is a bad one for me. Blunt I don't, force. I don't, today's not so good for Steve <laughs> to get in there. Um, so once, now that you've figured out, you know, the nuances of getting into a break, what, uh, what goes through your mind once you're in it? Uh, pretty much immediately start eating as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One of the big things, I mean, I don't know what it is. Europeans, especially like not your Northern Europeans, like the Spanish and the Portuguese, they love to ride like two up all the time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they, they love to do a chain gang where they do like a four second pull and then pull to the left and then stay in the wind for like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And like, they love to do it. I don't, I don't know. It's like a cultural You'll never see like a Belgian guy do it, but it's like a cultural thing. And so like pretty much immediately you have to start either, either somebody else starts yelling at everybody to ride single file or I start yelling. I just, I just give them about five minutes to figure it out. And then I start yelling at people. Um, because like, it, I mean, it's just, if there's any chance of success, you have to, you have to ride it that way. You have yeah. to kind of do the long turns. And then um, there's also like, a lot of times it's like, okay, you don't truly go hard until the last 50 K or whatever. So you just, kind of, you, they give you the gap, you hold the gap and then you start pedaling hard when there's 50 mm-hmm. K to go is kind of the formula. What's um, the, what is pedaling hard? So generally I'm like, roughly you do 300 Watts average to be pulling through normal in the break. Hmm. And then you start doing more 350 average to go hard. Hmm. Uh, is, is generally what I'm noticing. But then some of the breaks I did at the end of the year, is like we would do 320 for five hours or something average. <laughs> so I don't know if that really works. <laughs> you just go hard the whole time sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's course depending mm-hmm. and yeah, what the outcomes are and stuff like that. When you, uh, when you approach these breaks, are you predominantly approaching them for any sort of immediate prizes that might be out on the road or are you always thinking of the finish? How do you? Yeah. Um, I think I've gotten better at the intermediate. So I got, I did, uh, Arctic race of Norway and Mm -hmm. got the KOM there. And it was like, you really had to be 90% of the time. Whoever wins the first KOM point wins the KOM. Hmm. Um, so you have to kind of be really switched on because it, it's like the thing is 
people don't really realize it's so hard to do the timing of it. Cause mm-hmm. like for one thing, not everybody, you're not going full gas ever until the, until the sprint. And then it's like the signage is pretty bad. Yeah. 90% of the time. Like you don't, it could be 500 meters. It could be 800 meters. So you're like, you're kind of having to wait until you can sort of see it, but you want to go early enough to catch yeah. everybody out. You're trying to go from the back, but another guy's looking at you to go from the back. Yeah. And it's like, it just gets, it gets really hard. And then, like the actual sprints are really like you're sprinting as hard as if it was for the finish line three times or four yeah. times a day. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's way harder than it, than it looks. Yeah. One thing I've noticed in, especially for whatever reason in Europe, the mile marker that it's or kilometer marker that it's supposed to be on. So whether or not it's sprint or, or calm or whatever it might be is or feed is often wrong or guesstimated. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that's even better in the break. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had one, uh, one this year was like a one day race. It was like GP Miguel in mm-hmm. and they took out, it was, it was snowing. So they took out the true mountains, but there was still like these, there were like four different classifications along the road, but they took out, there were supposed to be three sprints and they took one out, but we passed it three times, but I didn't know they took it out. So I was like, Oh, I won two out of three. Nice. I won. I'm like at the podium. They're like, Oh, what third sprint? There were two sprints. What? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, so there's yeah. like all these logistics you're juggling, but yeah, yeah, you. I think, yeah, one of the things is like you gotta mess anything up a few times before you figure it out. So I certainly yeah. messed up a lot of KOM sprints before. Now I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's the best way to learn. Um, so it did, what, you mentioned that you were gonna be looking predominantly for those like bunch finishes. Does that mean you're gonna be ignoring the break? I mean, I'm no, assuming, no, yeah. I think. The thing is, I want to be able to do the break and be more of a finisher. Like, I think deep in my heart, I like, I don't want to be a climber. Like, I want to be a bruiser. Like, these, yeah. <laughs> these, uh, just little punchers from northern France that can just <laughs> do this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to kind of combine my skill set of being really efficient, being really arrow, and uh, try and just keep working those same skills in the direction of larger finishes and actually getting some results that way. Cool. Cool. Um, do you, I mean, that reminds me, uh, do you have like a, I know you mentioned, uh, Norway, but what's like, do you have another region that tends to represent the, the riding style that you like to do? Yeah, I think like, uh, a lot of the races we do in Spain are just Mm -hmm. naturally a bit, easier for me a bit better suited where it's certainly more pedaling oriented than when you get to like the northern france belgium it's so much of it is positioning and skill based and less fitness based so i think i'm improving in those areas but you see a more direct correlation between fitness and getting numbers on the board when it's more of a spanish highway style race it's it's more of a direct translation Hmm. interesting do you, uh, I guess, are, do you, I'm assuming you don't know your calendar yet for next year, or do you? No, no, but I'm yeah. uh, I'm hoping it's largely uh, largely Southern Europe to at least for the first couple months. Yeah, I guess uh, training wise, what are you what are you doing right now? Yeah, the it's kind of like like we talked about, pretty simple. Um, mm-hmm mountain bike roughly one day a week a lot of just like riding around zone two 
it's like the the more I do this, the more I'm like, no, I just want to do. I don't want to do cadence intervals. I don't want to do this. I want to ride zone two for four hours. That's all I want to do. Um, so a lot of that, um, yeah, kind of roughly one day a week. These like adventure gravel rides. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was another. The two like small tweaks I made this year are like I'm trying to do a lot more of the mountain biking without like everybody rides with headphones all the time. I do. Um, trying to do some mountain biking just for focus without anything because hmm. i think that's like a skill that we neglect for sure as americans because we don't do as many of these like gnarly races that it's that it's super switched on the whole time and so hmm. i think it's important to be like almost practicing doing two or three hours switched on just mentally um so you're and, doing that for engagement almost yeah constant static engagement yeah and just like keeping keeping focus because there's so many times when i when i'm in a race that i have to i feel like i have to like take three deep breaths and be like hey man i know you're thinking about this right now but you're in a bike race so like let's do the bike race and we'll think about that later um <laughs> which is yeah it's one thing like that's that's another big thing i've changed this year is like being much softer um on myself oh, as like because okay. i feel like i just it's like you just have to recognize what you're doing is quite difficult and that's fine but then like the more you like beat yourself up, like, Oh, I'm not focusing in this race. Like I suck at bike racing. I can't focus. I must not have it. It's like, well, if you do that, it just kind of, it leads you down a path that, that is not positive. So like, I, yeah, I just try to talk to myself more. Like I would want, you know, more like I would tell someone else like, Hey man, like let's focus right now a little bit more uh, compassionate towards the struggle. Yeah. You're human basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. it's like the, the sport is, is really hard and you have to work really hard. Um, and you're basically the whole sport is making mistakes all the time. Yeah. And so like, if you could, if you can, like when I was 19, I broke my arm before nationals and it was like a week I couldn't sleep, you know, Oh, I'm so, I broke my arm before national. Oh, and it's like, well, I didn't train, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, all of a sudden you haven't slept in a week. Yeah. You're not really good yeah. at biking, you know? <laughs> Uh, where it's that's not an exaggeration but uh yeah the more you can like get over your mistakes and then just try and keep uh keep moving forward i think when you can limit the time the setback lasts i think that's that's important yeah what do you like do you have uh i mean i guess like sayings or things that you do to shake yourself out of it like how do you how do you do that how do you convince yourself of, of letting go or getting yeah. back to it yeah i think like uh i think like in my core i'm very like practical mm. about like okay if i'm nervous about this race does that help me in the race <laughs> it's almost like i almost like got to this point where i like I'm like, oh, I refuse to to worry about this race until like an hour before. I just like, I just don't, ha it takes too much time. Uh, like <laughs> and stuff like that, where it's, it's kind of weird and you have to like kind of play tricks on yourself. And it's really hard when you're like fully anxious about something to do it. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's something to just doing it so many times where you're just like, oh, I'm tired of feeling like this the night before a race. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah. I definitely get that, especially with how many races you do and how much travel you have. Like you'd just be spending your whole life worried about the next thing. 
or the next yeah. race. It'd be it'd be super hard. Yeah, it's super easy to do. Also, when it's going yeah. when it's going relatively well, you're like ah, no big deal. When yeah. it's going uh, poorly and you're not finishing half your races, uh, then it's then it's a bit trickier. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you know, what are you most excited for then for next year? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I just I feel like I want to be racing more. Like, um, what I mean by that, it's like, I don't just want to be at the, like, I get excited by being in finals and like actually racing Mm -hmm. to the line. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that just by nature, like a lot of European races, you're kind of out of it 10, 20 K before the actual race is over. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's, it's fun to get white line fever, um, and, and actually (laughs) race. And when you, you know. I'm always like, you know, it's harder than racing a final is not racing a final. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I've done that enough to where, uh, to where I, I I'm not really interested in that. I want to do, uh, I want to keep, keep pushing and see what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I hope you like get the, yeah, I believe you'll get the chances at it. I mean, what's the, this is, do you feel comfortable at these races now is yeah, that the I right think, word i, don't I think know. there's yeah there's there's just a level of comfortable or i'm always going back to like competent like hmm. competent is not it's just neutral it's like yeah you're yeah you're good enough at this to be here yeah and you're good enough at this to to do to contribute in a way to the race um so yeah and then just the step up from that is like okay now you're good enough to race these races hmm. and sometimes I, you know occasionally i am but a lot of the times you're kind of out of it yeah how do you act in races? Like, I think you probably know, like the people that are really, really, really serious in races or the people that are total jerk jokesters in races. Like, how do you mm-hmm. act in a race? Yeah, I don't, I don't talk very much when I race. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I occasionally, I occasionally have gotten in a few fights, uh, but that's, wow. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking for them for the most part. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know. I think I get a little bit away with just being a large person. You can probably get away with a bit more. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, I'm pretty much just riding around. Not, uh, not super chatty. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, enjoy, I know this is kind of a loaded question, but do you enjoy the lifestyle? Do you enjoy, um, the process of essentially, you know, outside of the white line fever or like getting your race for a win or even just racing, bike races do you enjoy like the process of travel and um juggling training and uh yeah all of that like the flying yeah, I, I really do um i think i i get a lot of out of like yeah it feels good to like know what you're doing and have done mm-hmm. it a long time and do it it's like yeah I, you know i know how to pack my saddlebag for a six-hour day i know how yeah. to complete this ride in a way that's going to be productive that i'm going to do a cool race or do a cool ride. Like I know I'm going to make this route. I've just done it enough times to where I have like a sense of self-efficacy. And like, I know roughly that I can control what I'm doing. And I think it, it, yeah, it gives me a lot of, it feels good to be good at something and and know, you know, even to be not good at bike racing, but like, I'm, I'm good at training, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know how to train. I know how to be productive. I know how to fuel. And I think that's, uh, that's fun. And it's fun to keep, you know, lightly tweaking it and tinkering with yeah. it to, to keep uh, optimizing it yeah what what are you do you have anything that you're tweaking or optimizing right now it could be anything 
Yeah. Um, yeah. People, people that I hang out with will have heard me talk about like, Oh my like, Oh yeah. I got these fenders, man. These are incredible. <laughs> You're so dry. Like, oh, I got this. Yeah. Pretty much my, my budget for like fenders, little bike bags, like little, little frame bags and like cold weather gear is unlimited. I will spend any amount of money on these things. Cause it's like, yeah, this, this is something small that makes my job Better. less uncomfortable yeah, way <laughs> yeah, better. Like, uh, yeah 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 i i really enjoy that kind of stuff cool well um dude i mean thanks for thanks for joining me this has been this has been rad i've just yeah it's you're always a fun one to catch up with um so you leave january you said yeah yeah sometime cool. early january cool so you still have some time to yeah, enjoy it's, the cold it's coming, it's coming yeah. up i'm like oh no yeah. it's coming up so fast i missed the uh the old American season where it's like, oh, we've raced for six months. Yeah. See y'all in another six months. Yeah. Yeah. See y'all at Redlands. <laughs> Hanging it up for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Not as exactly as much predictability there no, no. at all. No, um, F1 schedule at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, a, that's a good comparison. We have a seven day off season now. <laughs> do nice. you, um, are you guys going to, are you, do you expect to do any stateside races next year or just just nationals or even I think that? um just nationals and then uh the maryland race like okay uh, yeah, yeah uhc yeah. is is a big uh sponsor yeah. so we do that also did you do that this year no? no okay no no okay. that was in cool. uh britain cool cool all right dude um well yeah thanks again um and thanks everyone for for tuning in um definitely follow along Steven in all of his adventures this year. And yeah, I hope you don't have any more run-ins with deer. Yeah. I've seen so, I've seen so many. And then the other thing is like, after it happened, I've had like 10 people tell me this has happened to them also, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. There's one, I'm sure you've done it. Uh, Linden here in in Boulder. There's a Mm -hmm. Canyon called Linden and that's an, and and Lee Hill. Those are the two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two hit deer places so yeah, yeah not 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 joyous yeah all right <laughs> <Yeah>. on, on, <laughs> on that note <laughs> on that note <laughs> bye everyone <laughs>